the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is risen. It's wonderful to see you all, especially after we've just celebrated the Feast of the Resurrection and what it means for us. And, and the biggest challenge we have, and especially as an Orthodox Church is a traditional church, a sacramental church, and for some of you in your own churches who have the same experience, is that there is such a a liturgical, and there is such a, a, a symbolic living of these events that it sometimes becomes about the symbol and not about the event. So it's really important for us to keep in our minds that it's about living this event and not just the symbolism of the event. So what is the resurrection? The resurrection has two contexts. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 the bit, it was about our Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, coming into the world, taking flesh, living in the world, and then as the incarnate word, ascending to the cross, dying on the cross, going to the tomb, and then rising from the tomb. And that resurrection meant the resurrection of humanity. It meant taking away that final obstacle that stood in our way from being reconciled with God again. Because that was our fault. We'd done it. But we weren't capable of fixing it. And so he came to fix it for us. So 2,000 years ago, that was the reason. That was what it meant to us. What does it mean today? And that's, that's the important thing. We don't want to just look at the resurrection as, as a historic fact. It has to mean something to us today. Because this isn't just about what happened 2,000 years ago. It is how that communicates in our lives today and how it communicates in our lives in changing them. Although we fell as humanity, and then we were raised as humanity, as individual humans, we still make mistakes. We still sin. We still fall on a daily basis. And what the resurrection means for us today is what it means to rise out of that on a daily basis. So rather than looking at the New Testament, I want us to look at a few examples in the Old Testament to do with this. And the first comes out of the book of Genesis, chapter 13, verse 11, no, verse 17, where God is speaking to Jacob, saying to him, Arise, walk in the land, through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Arise, walk through the land, its length and its width, because I give it to you. Now, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for Jacob? It meant, this is what I've given you. You're entitled to it. I've given you not only the entitlement, but the authority, the ability. So go 
and it's yours. Enjoy it. Investigate. Go through it. Discover new things. But above all, realize that it is yours. And in very much the same way, this is what God says to us in the, in, in the resurrection. I am now raising you. I've raised you from death. I've raised you from the estrangement. I've raised you from being distant from me. And I have given you back a new life. I've given you back a new world. I've given you back a new existence. Get up and walk in it. Experience it. Walk through its length and its breadth. I have given you a new life. Similarly to someone who was well, was fit, and then became ill, and became bedridden, and may even have fallen into a complete coma. And then this person is not only resuscitated, but given full health back. And the doctor says to you, now that you have your health back, now that you can get out of this bed, now that you are no longer bound by your illness, get up and enjoy your life. Have a walk, look at the world around you, enjoy, enjoy the energy you have, the strength you have, the life you have. As Christians, we sometimes do one of two things. We either are so worried that we're going to do something wrong that we become very reserved. We don't do anything. We lock ourselves away, we don't interact, we don't deal, everything becomes evil, everything becomes of the world, everything becomes material and tangible, and we almost become radical to the extent that everything becomes inconsistent with God and pure living and righteousness. And that not only inhibits and limits our lives, it makes us very, very judgmental of others. It makes us look at others and think, well, since I'm not doing that, if they're doing it, they're wrong, they're sinful, it's inappropriate, and so on and so forth. That's one extreme. The second extreme is, great, I now have this life, so therefore, I can do any and everything. And I do any and everything. And I no longer have boundaries, no longer have limits. I no longer have an understanding of right and wrong, of righteousness and sin, of good and evil. Everything becomes permissible. And then we hide behind the fact that, no, we can't judge anyone, so therefore everything must be right. Everything becomes relative. Those two extremes aren't right. They're both quite destructive. The first one makes us into recluses, very introspective, and from seeing this quite in a number of people, it's not maintainable. So people will become like that for a while and then snap and go to the other extreme. 
Now the other extreme is also not healthy and not right and not good. Because it makes us go down a path that is not ours. And so the healthy thing we need to do is say, actually yes, I was sick, I was dead in sin, I was weak, I was condemned, but now I have life. And it's not just any life. This is the trick. It's not just any life. This is the life given to me by God for edification, to become better, to be stronger. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Don't be afraid of life. We sometimes become so afraid we're going to make a mistake that we don't live our lives. Or we become so afraid that we're going to make a mistake that we don't try to be holy and righteous. Because at the end of the day, none of us want to be up and down. Although the reality is that we are. The reality is that that's how it is. It's up and down. We all have good days and bad days. We have days of righteousness and we sin on other days. That's just the way life is. That's the way our broken humanity functions. It would be wonderful for us to be good at all times, but we're not. And so to stop ourselves from that embarrassment and that feeling of failure, we go to the other extreme and say, well, I'm not doing it at all. The resurrection tells us, though, that you have promise, you have life, and you have a life of righteousness. And our Lord in His wisdom didn't just do that, but He said, actually, even more than that. What I'm going to do is not just give you resurrection, but I'm going to give you a church, as in the body of Christ, that becomes your support and your strength and your network, I'm going to give you sacraments that become your washing and rewashing and your nourishment. And I'm going to give you fellowship with me that gives you confidence in the life you're living. If we go to Genesis 31:13, God's command to Jacob, he says, I am the God of Bethel where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Okay. What, is, what does the word Bethel mean? Bethel is Bet Il. Bet is just home. Il is the mighty one. So Bethel is the home of the mighty one, the home of God the mighty. And so what God is saying to him is saying, listen, you made a mistake, okay? You left my home where you anointed the column and you made a pledge to me. You made a vow. And you've lived in estrangement all this time through your own choice. Now, arise and that is sometimes the mistake we make we often want to
to go to Bet-El, to Bethel, but, and this creates a problem for us, without leaving this land. I want to be there without having to let go of here. I want to live the resurrection. I want to live righteousness. But you know what? You can't live the resurrection unless the tomb is empty. It doesn't work. You can't live a new life unless you leave the old life behind. And what God says to us in the resurrection is, here it is. This is the resurrection. This is what I want you to do. This is the life I'm giving you, but... And that's why, as an, as an Orthodox sacramental church, we have baptism. The old person dies, and the new person emerges out of the baptismal font, washed and ready. A new person altogether... You know, one of the one of the biggest drawbacks, I think, of, of having infant baptism is that we don't appreciate it. We don't understand. You know, we will, we will, anyone here who is baptized into you know, the Coptic Church or, or another church that has their sacraments, we're all baptized as infants. We don't understand it. But when you speak to people who are baptized as adults, it is life-changing. It, it, is, it is a special day. It is beautiful. It is a rebirth. I've baptized people. There was one man I baptized, and, and I must tell you, he was sent to me, and, and they went and opened the front door. And there was this huge guy in motorcycle gear. He must have been 6'5", and about this wide. And he said, I'm, I'm the person... One of the bishops sent him to me. He'd done all the work and he said, I'm here for you to baptize. And this big, strong, burly, motorcycle, macho looking guy, you think, okay, fine. And he was so moved by the whole thing. And he said that this was life changing. He said he could feel it. Now for us, the resurrection means that as well. It's not about the enactment during the midnight liturgy on the resurrection eve. It's not about the hymnology, not about the readings. It's about the reality of our experience. Do I really believe that I have been raised from death? Do I know that through that incredible experience, that through that, God has given me a new life? Do I understand that? Do I live it? If I don't, there's something wrong. If I don't, I'm missing the point. It is too beautiful not to understand. It is too beautiful and too precious not to live. God says, get out of this land 
and return to the land of your family. Go back where you belong. You see, we forget that the resurrection was just to restore us. It wasn't to make us into something from scratch. It wasn't to make us into something different. It was just to reset and restore us. It was to let us know that this was the time for things to change and be returned to what they should have always been. And that's the challenge for us. It's not something new. Righteousness is not new for us. It is just being restored to what we were. It's being reset to the image and likeness of God in which we were created. That's important because it makes us look at ourselves very differently. We look at ourselves as broken, sinful creatures. Essentially. But actually what we are is beautiful creatures created in the image and likeness of God who have fallen because of unrighteousness, but then have been restored through that resurrection. And so we're just going back to where we belong. We are going back to our Bethel. We're going back to the land of our family. Symbolically, the land of our family is God the Father, and within our understanding, the church is our mother. And we go back to that. We go back to that family unit. And everyone here is my brother and my sister. That's the family I have. The family that is rooted in the presence of God, in the presence of the church, in the presence of this fellowship. In the reality that I am loved. I am valued in the understanding that I will be restored if I just go back. But then the verse goes on and it says, God said to Jacob, Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Dwell there. Don't just visit this new land. Don't just get a peek in through the window, say, this is really nice, beautiful, then walk away again. Don't just look from a distance. Look at the beautiful things you could possibly have and then walk away deprived again. That wouldn't make any sense. Imagine the prodigal son feeding swine, hungry, tattered, filthy clothes. Goes from a distance, looks at his father, looks at the feast, looks at the sandals and the robe and the ring from a distance. 
and then walks away again. Now, how many times have we been that? We look from a distance and we, we appreciate it from a distance and we look and we acknowledge its beauty. But then, we don't do anything about it. We don't finally engage. We don't take that final step. We don't go back to the land of our family and become part of that family. Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there. But it goes even further. Don't just dwell there. Make an altar to God. When you're there, don't just be there. Engage with God there. Make an altar to Him there. Live with Him there. Sacrifice. Worship. Experience. See, if we come out of the resurrection, and we look at it just historically, or it was a nice liturgy, or we had a nice, nice outfit on, you know, it was a nice family dinner afterwards, or whatever it means to us, and we don't actually engage with that beautiful understanding that this is a new life. If we don't stay there, and that's why the church sets aside the 50 days after the resurrection as days of joy. You see, with every other feast, you finish the feast and you move on. This feast is so significant that we don't just move on. The hymnology we use on that night doesn't just end on that night. It continues for the 50 days that are that are after it, up till Pentecost. You know that in our churches there's usually a, a burgundy curtain at the royal doors. During Holy Week we put up dark curtains. And then during the resurrection feast, we put up white curtains to to give an element of joy and victory in life. Those white curtains don't suddenly come down the day after. They adorn the church for 50 days. What are we being told? We're being told that this event, this life-changing and life-saving occurrence is not just to be celebrated on one day. It's to be continued. And in the words of our Lord, of Lord our God, he says, go to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar to God who appeared to you when you fled. Make an altar to God. Make a promise with God. Re-engage with God. We, we sometimes disengage. We, we go a long way away. We start a new life with a new ethos, with a new principle, with new ethics, with new choices, with new friends. But in actual fact, This is a lifelong decision. And it should actually go far beyond those 50 days. Those 50 days are just symbolic. It should go on for the rest of our lives. Because again, within the church calendar, 
every Sunday of the year is a commemoration of the resurrection. We remember it all year round. Because it is such an incredibly important thing. It's important because it, it changes our perspective of ourselves. Realistically, we could have been those in the tomb forever. The big stone is rolled over the tomb and we die. And we're there and we're captive. But in the, ro in, in the rolling back of the stone, in the resurrection of our Lord, in the empty tomb, we have new life. Now, I want, you to, I want you to learn this verse. The next verse from Genesis 31. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him. Genesis 31, so start at 13. Now verse 22. And Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that you have among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. It needs a huge change. A huge change. Not just a little change. Put away the foreign gods. Take away the things out of your heart that you, you worship. The things that are foreign to you. The things that have nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with your image. Nothing to do with your likeness. Nothing to do with what God created in you. Put those away from you. Go back to what you should be. And we all have foreign gods in our lives. Whether they be our work, our studies, our friendships material things, our egos, things that we worship, things that we glorify, things that take the place of God, things that create a new nature in us. Just as God created the first nature, these things promote a new nature because they change our principles, they change our, our perspective, they change the ethics and the life we live. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Don't forget the theme of this garment is different. So when the prodigal son goes back to his father, his father actually puts a garment over him, puts a robe over him and gives him back his identity. In this case, they need to take the old garments off. They're leaving that land. They're leaving everything there. They're leaving the gods of that land. They're leaving the distraction and the destruction and the failure and the death of that land. We're leaving death behind. And we're suddenly now taking on the life after the resurrection. So go in as the new man, putting on the new man being the new person, being the new creation, being restored to 
that image as God has told us. Having it given to us again. And it's there for us. We sometimes feel either we're not entitled or not worthy, but we just can't do it. And God has taken all of that away. And what he said to us is, of course you are. Of course you're entitled. Of course you're worthy. You're mine. And just as I created you, I can restore you. But you need to let yourself go in my hands and let me reshape you and let me restore you. So this is the beautiful account of the resurrection. And it's available to all of us today to live. It's available to all of us today to appreciate, to, to entrench in our lives, to make part of us. Now, one final point is that this whole journey will have its ups and downs, as I was saying before. Just because you've gotten up once doesn't mean you won't fall. Just get up again. Because the beautiful thing about the resurrection, that it was 2,000 years ago, but it exists daily in our lives and can be renewed and restored daily. That every day, as we fall that small fall, we can get up again. And we can once again go back to the land of our family be restored to the image and likeness and rise from the death of sin and live the resurrection and victory of righteousness. And glory be to God forever. Amen.